0: paramedicine.com,
1: translating research into practice,
0: and welcome to episode number two, the primary survey. I'm Mark Kolbeck in Queensland, Australia,
1: and I'm Sonia Maria in New South Wales, Australia.
0: So this episode, what we're going to be focusing on is the primary survey that paramedics do when they're first approaching a patient. Usually I say that this is about the first one to five minutes as somebody is walking in towards the patient, and doing a very quick check to make sure that everything's okay. We're gonna be basing this on our paper. Yay! Yay. (laughs) This is published in the Irish Journal of Paramedicine. It's up on the internet now, so go to the IJP and you'll be able to see it there. And um, Sonia and I were both involved, we're authors in this, and there was a group of other people that were involved as well. So aside from Sonia and I, we also had uh, Georgette Eaton, who's in Oxford, England, who is a UK paramedic and uh, educator as well. And we had, I'm just taking a look so I make sure I don't forget anybody, we had Craig Campbell at University of Tasmania, who did an awful lot of work on the final editing of this along with you, Sonia. And uh, he's a paramedic, paramedic educator as well, uh, also involved in writing clinical practice guidelines as I have been, as you have been, right? Yeah, okay. And then we had Alan Batt in Canada from Fanshawe College. Alan is the editor of the IJP, but there was a, a very – one of my students asked, isn't that conflict of interest, putting it in your own? I said, no, because we weren't involved in the peer review or anything like that. We handed it over to other people. Um, so Alan's the editor of the IJP, and I guess I should declare conflict of interest. I'm on the editorial board of IJP. Um, and Alan is originally an Irish paramedic and he's now working and teaching in Canada. And then our last person who was involved is Matt, Matthew Kaffee, who previously was here in Australia. He was senior lecturer in charge of the masters in paramedicine at CQU, I think. But then he's left and he's gone back to the United States. He's working now, he's a physician's assistant as well. And he's working in the Loma Linda University Medical Center in California. And gradually sort of shifting off into neurology, which is too bad because he was great to work with, but he's kind of moving this, be- leaving this behind a little bit. But he did a lot of work on the paper. The whole group did a lot of work and it was a lot of fun to work with them. We called ourselves the International Paramedic Authors Group. Well, I called us that. <laughs> IPag. <laughs> IPag. That's right. And I really hope that we get to work together again because this was a great paper. Um, Sonia, why don't you tell us a little bit about what was involved and how the project laid out and how we developed this paper and how long it took and all that stuff.
1: Mm, Okay, so um, if you have listened to our first podcast, you'll know that uh, Mark and I are putting together the Australasian CPGs, which is a group of clinical practice guidelines. And this is one of the first ones that we're doing, the primary survey. Um, Obviously, you know that the secondary survey comes after this one. that will be probably our next one. Next show. (laughs) Next show. To put this together, what we did was we used a process called the Delphi Delphi Method, where we gather a group of experts together. Well, we consider ourselves all experts, and obviously um, we, we spent a lot of time in, in making sure that the group was good to put together as yeah. well. Um, so if you look at the background of the group, all of us have been involved in the development of clinical pra- practice guidelines. And what we did is we got together um, all of the relevant guidelines that ambulance officers use or paramedics use, and we looked, we were trying to find where is it mentioned about primary survey and secondary survey we did it at the same time, actually, but this specifically is about primary survey today. So after going through all of the different services and all of their literature about um, primary or secondary survey, if it was in there, we then um, went, uh, we all put down the, what we all put down the information that was in there yeah. from the different services. So... Basically, we got given um, a task each to go through the different services and collect the information from them that was about the primary survey within those documents. From and that when in- we
0: did that, we did that with the CPGs, but we also did it from their like um, clinical system. instructions, skills That's manuals right. and procedures. Yeah, procedures and yeah. Anything that we could find that Correct. referred to what was included in the primary or secondary.
1: Yes, because a lot of that yeah. documentation overtime has been taken out of the actual full, full volume of the clinical practice guidelines. And quite often our ambulance services will have a separate skills manual or something mm-hmm. on their, you know, their internet site, which is, you know, a different document. So where we could, we gathered both documents together, the actual practice guidelines or the protocols, and also the maintenance documents as well, the skills documents as well. So after collating them all together, we then basically put together a, a massive document of you know more than a hundred different items that was in there, and yeah, it's big. then the debate started the, the Delphi <laughs> process of you know of validating and quantifying what went where and what what should stay and looking at the actual flow processes about you know the systematic method of the primary survey. And we know that over so, time it's changed, so don't we, to, to go from uh, Yeah, some have. Yeah, yeah.
0: Which, which uh, locations did we choose to include? We should talk about that.
1: So all of the Australasian services, Australia and New Zealand, as well yeah. as Ireland, UK, um, South Africa, Qatar. Yep. What am I missing? The United
0: Arab Emirates we did as well. Yeah, And we chose those yeah. because they were all, except for the Australasian ones, which obviously was our focus, we chose those other ones because they were all national. So the Republic of Irish, the Republic of Irish, Ellen's going to kill me, the <laughs> Republic <laughs> <laughs> of Ireland, the UK. Uh, I wanted to do Canada as well, but there's no national ones. Oh, there's also the national, national exemplar CPGs that was written by a group of physicians in the United States, which are really good evidence-based ones. Yeah. As far as I know, no one's actually using it's like a, a template for people to refer to, but they're really they're really good. Once we get the website up, we'll post links because mm. most of those are available online. I don't think the UAE and Qatar ones are in the Middle East, mm. but the rest are. So we'll, we'll get them up there.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Okay. So those are the ones we did.
1: So once we got them all together and they're collated, and we we started working through the delphi process. This is the part that took a long time. So getting that. Um, Expert opinion and agreement, trying to validate it where possible, with evidence base, and having those many discussions. And that's why it took us such a long time to end up with that final document. And, and as you know, most listeners who are listening to this, that things have changed along the way too. So the emphasis for putting circulation first before um, ABCs and cardiac arrest, etc., and we had to kind of take a lot of that information into, um, into context as well. So when we are considering whether it was trauma or medical. So the document that we ended up putting together is a document that can be used for any situation. And obviously, as we go through and have a chat about it, you'll see that it needs to be tailored to the situation as well. So not every item within it is going to be relevant in context to you know the situation that you're going into.
0: Yeah, right, right. Mm. And how long did it take us? two
1: years, 18 months, two years, something like that. a year and a half, two
0: years, something like that. And multiple iterations. Yeah, I
1: was about to say 15 iterations.
0: (laughs) I think we did. And if you take a look back at the first one that we started with, it was very different because this is based Mm -hmm. on a way that I've been teaching the primary survey for a while. And when I started, I had the um, initial, like the primary ABCDs and the secondary ABCDs. And then we decided, nah, that's too confusing. Let's let's not actually Mm -hmm. do it that way. So yeah, a lot of thought went into the document. And what I think is interesting is that it's not really just um, a regurgitation of what we saw in all the other ones. We took that information and we used that as our basic template, but then we, we added stuff and we made it work in the context. I mean, we've all been teaching the primary survey for 10, 15 years. So making it work in a way that seemed organized to us, not only as clinical paramedics, but also as experienced educators.
1: Mm, Correct, and also in the sense that it can be used as a handover tool as well, some of those elements from it. So we were thinking about um, other uses and and also potentially for other practitioners as well, not just potentially um, paramedics.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Craig who said, you know, there's some stuff that we throw in the primary survey which nobody ever includes in the primary survey. And we started to have a talk about that. And we talked about you know, some of the things we'll talk about under BangZap push. But that, to me, um, showed that this was more than just a, an accumulation of what existed out there. I think we did some synthesis as well mm-hmm. and turned exactly. it into something that I think is better. And now this, this um, in the paper, we call it the International Paramedic Primary and Secondary Survey, um, it's starting to get used. I think they're using it in Coventry. I know Alan's starting to use it at Fanshawe. Craig's using it at University of Tasmania in Sydney. We're using it in every unit in our degree now in uh, ACU in Brisbane. So, so all, of sessions, all of our sessions, all of our sessions, that's
1: presentations. right. Yeah,
0: that's mm-hmm. right. And part of what we'll be doing, and this is a part of the AP CPGs, the Australasian Paramedic CPG project, is uh, writing scenarios. And all of our scenarios will be formatted in this format for the primary and then with the next show, the secondary survey. So it's starting to get spread and we're going to be developing resources built on this, which I think is kind of exciting. And I'm talking with some people now who are going to be like our scenario masters for paramedicine.com and help us develop scenarios, very experienced nurses and paramedics, like dual trained, um, who will be looking them over and making sure everything's right and good. So yeah, it's kind of exciting.
1: Absolutely. All right, Mark, so let's let's get into it. Um, how about you take us through the concept of safety first get?
0: Okay. So probably the first first thing to do is to say we we realized as we uh look through all the topics that there were about fifty things that you roughly, depending on how you count it, fifty things that people have to memorize in order unerringly, without omission, under high stress circumstances, and we thought, if we just make a list of 50 things, nobody's going to forget it. So using the idea of, you know, clumping, we thought, how can we get some major headings that are going to be easy to remember as a mnemonic or an initialism that people could could keep in their head and not have to look at uh, in, when they're out working clinically. So we came up with the mnemonic, safety first, get ABCDEs, which... All on its own makes sense, you know, you're going to approach that patient, what do you want to do? Well, safety first, then I'll get my ABCDEs. So that Mm -hmm. sentence alone actually works. And then as you deconstruct that, it's kind of like a chapter, you know, those are each of the headings in the chapters, and then there are subheadings under each thing. So let's start with that safety first get, which actually expands dramatically. There's so much in there, we'll probably end up talking about this for 10 minutes. So the first thing is safety, and safety is its own word. The rest are all initials. So safety stands for, as you're driving to the call, put on your goggles, put on your gloves, and make sure that you have personal protective equipment against body substances. So, you know, infectious diseases are always an issue. We never know what we're walking into. So gloves and goggles and whatever else you need. If you're going to a motor vehicle accident... Uh, You might put on your hard hat or your leather gloves or whatever other safety equipment is appropriate. But just get yourself ready from that safety point of view of protecting yourself from whatever environment you're going into. Mostly gloves and goggles. Mm -hmm. That's what we're thinking about on the way to the call. Now, the ambulance arrives, we get out, we start walking towards the scene. And as we're walking towards our patient, uh, we start thinking F-I-R-S-T. So that's safety. F-I-R-S-T. And each letter stands for something. So the F is fear. And if you walk in and your spidey sense starts tingling and you think there's something to fear, then you need to pay attention to that. If the scene is not safe, don't go in. Okay, so that's the first. uh, So there's a lot of safety elements in here because it's a dangerous job. So safety, F, the I stands for incident. And as you're walking in, you're trying to make a a rough estimation in your mind of what sort of incident am I walking into? Is it mm-hmm. somebody at the bottom of a ladder or at the bottom of a building, mm-hmm. or is this somebody clutching their chest or in tripoding tripod in position, the short where of breath?
1: It's not always what, we, what we're called to, is it?
0: <laughs> That's right. That's right. You get called for an elderly patient fell on yeah. the floor, and you actually it's get exactly, there, it's a dolphin like with an arrow in it. <laughs> That's right. You're, you're, you're taking a broad look at what the incident is and trying to get a rough idea of what could happen, and the. If you want to break it down roughly, we're really thinking about two major categories, which are medical or trauma. Is this a medical incident or is it a traumatic incident? And if it is medical incident, then we're trying to think about the nature of the illness. And you can see stuff like that when when you're walking in. You know, the the tripoding asthmatic can't breathe, or um, you know, somebody who's just like. Oh, my chest. It feels like something's sitting on it. You know, just get a rough idea. Or they're obtunded and they're not tracking you mm-hmm. as you walk in. You know, that's the nature of illness. And then, mechanism of injury. Like I said, are they at the bottom of a ladder? Are they under a, a balcony that they've jumped off of? Have they been hit by a car? Are they in a car? How fast was the car going? Just, you're starting to get all of these sort of clues around you. You're not making any conclusions yet, but you're just thinking about the incident. Mm-hmm. So, safety. Is there any fear? What's the incident I'm walking into? And then the R, to be honest, the R doesn't quite fit. It's number, (laughs) with the emphasis on the R, of patients. How many people am I actually caring for? So if there's one person sitting on the couch, then that's the person I'm probably dealing with. But if you're at a, a bus stop and somebody's been run over, or a few people have been run over, and there's people standing watching who are in shock, you suddenly got a lot more patience. If you pull up to a car and there's, uh, you know, a parent in the front and a car seat in the back and lots of, you know, baby paraphernalia, where's the baby? Did it get thrown? You know, like let's just make sure before I tunnel in on this one person that there isn't somebody else in the bushes or in another room that I'm not thinking of. Mm-hmm. So safety, fear incident number S is send for help. Because there's lots of other people who help us do our job. If the scene is unsafe, we'll be calling for police. If there's maybe an obese patient, we're going to be calling for backup, carrying. If there's live wires, we're going to be calling hydro, electrical crews. If there's a a dog, we're going to be calling, you know, uh, animal control. There's lots of other people that we might think of asking for help. The big one is, you know, patient assaulted. Okay, thanks. Where's the assailant? We don't know. Okay, are the police coming? Yes, they are. Okay, are they on scene? You know, that sort of a thing, making mm-hmm. sure that we're sending for help if we need it. If you're uh, a paramedic with a higher level of paramedic working in your system and you're hearing a very acutely ill patient, maybe I need to get these higher level paramedics coming in to help us as well. Yeah. So, like, you know, in Australia, would say if you're an advanced care paramedic, you need an intensive or critical care paramedic. Mm-hmm. If you're in the States, if you're an EMT, call for an NREMTP that sort of a thing.
1: Mark, would that be the point too, that if it was a uh, an accident on the road, that you might you know, request the fireys or the police or extra people to come and secure the scene if necessary?
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you know that you're going to be working on the road, um, you don't want to have to be making sure that cars aren't hitting you or your team. right? You want to make sure you're uh, properly protected. Or if there's extrication and your service doesn't do extrication, if it's the fire's firees, as you guys say, or we have SES here, right?
1: Yeah.
0: And what does that stand for? Because I know they're like emergency help, but...
1: State Emergency Services.
0: State Emergency Services. Yeah. Okay, and they do a lot of the rescue stuff.
1: Correct, yeah.
0: So you might be calling an SES. Know, know who your people are. I'd rather be a helper asking for help than a rescuer asking to be rescued. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the basic rule yeah. there for sending for help. And then uh, we've gone safety first. Uh, And then the T actually stands for two things. If you've got a patient who look like they've had a mechanism of injury suggesting trauma, then we're going to worry about the neck, the Mm -hmm. C-spine. So trauma to the C-spine because we don't want people moving their heads around. So at this point, we might actually be saying to the person at the bottom of the ladder who's twisted up, hi, my name is Mark. I'm a paramedic. I'm approaching you. Please don't move your head as I approach. I don't want you to move your neck. Okay. And we'll go and we'll immobilize their head to make sure they're not moving their neck. So if it's trauma, we're worried in particular about that cervical spine, the C-spine, making sure that it's safe. Um, if it's not trauma, or if it is trauma and there's a lot of people, then we switch from dealing with our one patient to doing triage, which is French for sorting, triage. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be taking a look, not at the one person, but switching gears and going, okay, there's a lot of people here. Who's very sick, who's a little bit sick, who's not sick, and who's dead. And let's just identify them as the other rescuers come in. Mm -hmm. So safety first, the T stands for either trauma to the C-spine or triage if you've got a large group of people. Mm -hmm. So safety first, that's easy as you walk in. And then we switch to the next word, which is get. And G-E-T each stands for something as well. So we're going to ask about the general impression of our patient. Or if it's multiple patients, if it's a large incident, again, we're going to switch to that sort of triage mind state. And what's the general impression of this disaster, of this major incident? So if I were to describe to somebody um, what a patient looked like, I could do it poorly and say something like, oh yeah, we're with the patient here and they're, uh, you know, they're really sick and I think I need some more help. And the person on the other end of the line is going to be not very capable of making a mental image of what's going on with that. So they're going to say, you know, how old's the patient? Where are they? You know, give me more of of an image. So when we describe what our patient is looking like, if we're calling for backup, or in scenarios, if you're a student walking in and we say, okay, so what have you got? We look for a general sequence of how people approach it. And we'll say something like "Um, 25-year-old male, Um, sitting in tripod position in his living room in moderate distress. And that gives you an idea. Or, you know, 62-year-old female found prone on the road beside her overturned vehicle in severe distress. Okay, how old are they? What's their gender? Um, The position they're found in? The general location they are? It makes a difference if you're, you know, on a boat or in the living room. Um, and roughly their level of distress. And level of distress is easy. If they, you walk in they're talking in they're okay, you say, no apparent distress. If they look like they're absolutely dying, that's severe distress. And if they're just going, oh, I'm kind of sick, that's moderate distress. Very broad categories, okay? So our general impression of the patient, if it's a large incident, then we're going to switch to um, giving an update, saying this is what the incident is, and that's the methane report. And I haven't taught trauma for a while, so I don't actually remember what the methane is. Do you remember methane? I've got it written down.
1: Well, it's interesting because we use ethane, which is similar, but without the... Okay. I'm not actually sure what the M is, so...
0: Well, the M is you're declaring a major disaster. Right. So you say, hi, this is Mark Kolbeck. I'm arriving at the scene. I see seven overturned cars, multiple patients. I'm declaring this a major disaster or a major incident or multi-casualty incident. Something starts with M. That your, that your jurisdiction knows means, uh-oh, this is a big one. And then E is, it's not written down, exact location. Yeah. So how to get people there. Um, and T is the type of incident it is. A is access and egress. So how do you want the vehicles to come in? How do you want them to get out? Because you can really get jammed up if everybody's driving in from all different directions and they yeah. all sort of double-park each other, you can't get out. So the first person in is the one who gives the methane report or ethane report and says, I want everybody to come in from the West Road and then leave via the East Road so that we've got, you know, a clear way to do it. Um, N is numbers of patients, and then E is the emergency services. Yeah, are uh, there already yeah. or the ones that are required. So, yeah. you know, emergency right. services, it's just me on my bicycle. <laughs> yeah, Send right. everybody.
1: We might know that also as a sit rep. Um, so, yeah, that's what they call it, it down of, here. Yeah, situation report, basically. The ethane or methane is, you know, the same as what a, a sit rep is for when I was first introduced to the paramedicine services, but that's what we used to call it, isn't it?
0: Right, yeah. And that's really, again, for students showing that you have an understanding of what's going on, you can quickly summarize what's happening to yeah. the person who's evaluating you in the scenario. Or when you're a working paramedic, being able to say, I need the next level paramedics because I've got, and then you do those five major points, or saying, this is a major disaster, multi casualty incident, D- big this big is big. how yeah. I need to organize it. Yeah. So that's safety, F-I-R-S-T, general impression,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: we give a report. Um, and then, for the first time, after all of this talking, you're actually engaging with the patient. Up to now we haven't even spoken to them really. We're but just this all working though,
1: have you know, this initial stuff, you know, it's probably only thirty seconds to a minute, depends on on how much activity yes. is happening.
0: Yeah, it could just be if you're not giving the general report to somebody else, it could mm. just be what you do as you walk towards the patient. Yeah. And it's remarkable when we examined it, when we realized just how much thinking we do in a formalized way in those maybe five seconds walking towards mm-hmm. a patient because we haven't even touched them or spoken to them yet. Yeah. And we've done safety. We've done, is there anything to be fear of? We've looked at the incident. We've looked at the number we've thought about sending for help. We've thought about trauma to the C spine. We've thought, thought about a triage. We've got a general impression of what's going on. And now I can say, hi, my name's Mark. I'm a paramedic. How can I help you today? Mm-hmm. We've done all of that. Mm-hmm. So, The next one, so we've done G, general impression. Next one is E, and it stands for estimate their levels of awareness or levels of consciousness, some people say. I like saying awareness. Um, And what we do usually is we talk to the patient and say, Hi, how are you? My name's Mark. And one of the things I teach my students to look for is tracking. So if you walk in, they'll have heard the siren coming and they'll, you know, hear the bustle as we come up the stairs or whatever. And you walk in. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and we've got the fancy uniforms on, we've got all the equipment. And if you walk in and they're kind of looking away, that's very atypical. So usually when you walk in, they they lock on you and they track with your eyes as you walk in. And that's an immediate clue. So my patient or my patients, my students here uh, always say, are they tracking me? And I say, as you find it, and they say, okay, unless it's a mannequin. And I say, yes, mm-hmm. they are. So are they tracking me is the first thing they ask, and then they introduce themselves and they say, how can I help? Hmm. And what we use then is the pretty much international standard AVPU. Mm-hmm. So is the patient alert? Are they responding to verbal? Uh, so okay. alert for us is tracking. Yeah. And then P is pain. Are they responding to pain? And if so, how? And we'll go on to AVPU a lot more when we get into right. assessments. And then U is unresponsive. So we've yeah. gone, we've, sir, can you hear me? Ma'am, ma'am, open your eyes. No response. We've been really loud. Uh, we've administered pain. There's no response. That's unresponsive. Mm-hmm. So we're estimating the levels of awareness. And if, they, if they're not speaking to us, we might use the motor score of the Glasgow Coma Score to see what their response is to pain, just to give us a rough idea and to remember later if it's getting better or worse. It's establishing our trend. Right? So safety, F-I-R-S-T general impression, estimate levels of awareness, again, by saying hello. And then, before we get into the ABCDs and before we really put our head down and and get into this, you know, closer view, microscopic view, we stay macro and we say, are there any threats? Are there any threats to me or my partner or anybody else on the team or to the patient? Uh, And it could be, we talk about people, object, places, and environment. There's lots of different things that could be a threat. But at this point, one of the things that we put in is life-threatening hemorrhage. So if we walk in and there's, you know, the power cord arcing around, oops, I'm not going in there. If we go in and there in a huge puddle of big red blood, we want to know where the blood's coming from. If, if, there's, if we're on the road and traffic hasn't been secured and we've said hello, don't move. We're waiting to make sure that the cars are guided around us so that nobody gets hit. We're just before we focus in, we're looking to make sure that we're all safe and there's no threats. And like you said, when we presented this paper, a lot of the comments that we got came back saying, you haven't spoken about, what was the term that they used?
1: Catastrophic.
0: We didn't say catastrophic bleeding. We said life-threatening bleeding, but we didn't say catastrophic, and some people were perturbed by that. So I think we'll probably change it so that we have the word catastrophic in there, so people are... Oh, I think it's com- just a, it's
1: a state or a province or a regional uh, word that's used. It's certainly not... Catastrophic is not, um, it's not used everywhere. So it's just a terminology that people get ingrained into them because it was such a big change. Where we went from ABC, we went to CAB. You know, so that's
0: right. The small C and then yeah. the ABCs. That's
1: right. Yeah. yeah, I mean,
0: I yeah. I think actually life threatening is is a broader term that is probably more descriptive, but it's that's not understandable. Just my it ca-
1: so what is catastrophic? You know, what what, what is the yeah. definition of it? Whereas most people would understand a, a hemorrhage that is life threatening. Yeah. Life threatening. Yeah. 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 Mm.
0: Okay. Okay, so at that point, we're going to switch over from the safety first get, or safety first get, and we're going to move into the ABCDEs. So, Sonia, why don't you take the lead on this and tell us a little bit about how we approach this differently, and then we'll go through the pieces.
1: Okay, so I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of the ABCs and what they are ABCDEs, or the more traditional sense of, of the terminology. Um, these are these are usually performed in order, you know, of priority. So, airway, over-breathing, over-circulation, etc. We understand that people quite often will do these together in some cases. They'll be checking the airway and then they'll do breathing and circulation together as well. So, just mm-hmm. a, but but um, I don't know what you teach up there, Mark, as far as um, the ordering of this specifically, whether students are allowed to check breathing and circulation together. Is this something that you're... Yeah, you?
0: we do that and I yeah. actually encourage them to do that. Um, yeah. but again to think critically about what they're finding and make decisions based on what they found but it's yeah. good to break it down in order when you're learning it
1: it is absolutely and this is the uh, you know the best way of learning it is in, a, in an order and we use a find it fix it and then move on approach as well so when you find a problem so say the airway is obstructed you need to clear it before then you moved on to breathing and circulation etc So if you have a look through our document, you'll see that for each of these, airway, breathing circulation, and disability, etc, there's little things uh, on the side there to consider as you're moving through from one to the next. So with our airway, we are considering whether it's uh, open and it's clear or it's patent, does it need any cleaning or suctioning, Um, are there any impending or obstructive difficulties, so is there snoring in the back of the throat, that, with positioning at this point we can't. Clear it and make it uh, sound better before moving on to breathing. So, while you're listening and looking into the airway, you're um, considering the things like positioning and suctioning, foreign body. Are you going to need to put in an OPUA at this point, or um, you know, are they going to be okay? while you're moving on to the breathing and circulation, so always mm-hmm. in the back of your mind, these things are sort of happening, aren't they? And we, we realize that some of that is, um, you know, some of it is taking place simultaneously as well.
0: Yeah, so we broke it down into assess and then consider, right? Correct. So we're doing our yeah. assessment, and then you're considering. You don't have to, but you're considering. Yes. What other fine. adjuncts could we use?
1: Yeah, and there's no reason that um, while you're considering, you're not, you know, um, you know, working out, getting the bags in the right positioning, and there's other things that are happening, isn't there? With people yeah. are around in your area that you, you might, you know, might call out, grab me an OP airway while I'm on to the next step, you know, like. So these things yeah. are sort of you know, happening at the same time. So breathing, breathing, your look, listening and feeling, nothing new there, we all learnt that. Um, consider a rapid four-point auscultation. So that's quite often we see that in training these days that they'll be not only um, looking, listening for breathing, but they'll actually auscultate for the breathing at the same time. Only four points, That's so it needs to be quick and, and choppy. Um, you'd also consider your oxygen saturations at that point. So. Really, for me, I'm probably looking more at things like, is there any signs of obvious cyanosis on the face and the skin when I'm actually doing mm-hmm. my breathing assessment? Circulation, oh, well, back to well, you know, consideration.
0: We, yeah, before we go on from breathing, one of the things that I, I like to teach my students, and I think it's a really useful, again, establishing that baseline, is yeah. getting a room air SPO2. Yeah. So as they're talking to people, I encourage them to make it automatic to just put this sat on. Most people have seen these now. Most people like reach up their finger. They know exactly what you're doing. But it yeah. gives you that baseline oxygen saturation so we don't inadvertently push people into hyperoxia which we're really trying to avoid now.
1: Correct. And you know, if you've got a good partner who's working with you, they'll be grabbing the gear out for you at the same time and handing you the pulse oximeter. Right. It's one of those things that you the first things that you do when you walk in the room, isn't it? <laughs> After the you introduce teamwork. yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so considering that um, if the patient is really quite critical, at this point you're probably looking at using um, assisting their breathing, maybe ventilating them too. So, you know, always your considerations around, you know, bringing out a bag mask and um, having to ventilate the patient. And also in this other considerations is chest needle decompression as well. So mm-hmm. at this point, there's if they're not uh, moving air and the chest is not rising and falling, and you're thinking that they could have a a, um, pneumothorax or a tension pneumothorax, you would need to fix that before moving on because there's no point. breathing. Yeah, it's prohibitive, yeah. Right, so getting on to circulation. um, The obvious is, is there circulation or not? Is there a pulse and how does it feel? What's its strength like? Is it regular? Does it feel like it's bounding? or Is there anything that's glaringly obviously um, wrong with it at this point? And we also have another point in there about um, the skin colour. So looking at the skin and the perfusion of the skin at that point too. So temperature, any signs obvious of signs of diaphoresis.
0: You know, our our students actually talk about this because we talk about perfusion assessment, like getting a rough idea if it's good enough. And a rough rule that I say is take a radial pulse. And if they've got a radial pulse, if the blood's getting to their wrist, it's probably getting to the brain and their heart and their kidneys and their lungs. It and that's all be. we really worry yeah. about right yeah. now, you know? Correct. So if yeah. you've got a radial yeah. pulse and you can feel it, that's probably good enough for now because it's just a quick check.
1: Yeah. And if it was an unconscious person on the, laying, on the, on the floor, the only thing I would say, is it's more likely to be a carotid pulse, isn't it? If, it, if you're thinking cardiac yeah. arrest, you're yeah. thinking carotid. But if it's a person who's sitting there talking to you, then taking a palpated pulse of the wrist is going to tell you a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so some considerations at this point, and um, CPR is the obvious one. If there's no yeah. heartbeat, you're going to start doing it. One. <laughs> yeah, um, the other thing too, keeping in the back of your mind about, you know, putting in an IV to boost that circulation. So, you know, if, um, if you think it's going to be needed early, you might be asking your partner to set up a, an IV kit for you or getting some bits out of the, the kit at this point. But um, not necessarily before you finish the primary survey, if it's not critical, but, you know, these are the considerations and the things that you're thinking about. Also, obviously, um, the ECG circulation being a part yeah. of that as well. Yeah. yeah.
0: If you've got time, because sometimes that can be time-consuming, and if you think, wow, they look really bad, we'll get to it. But, again, consider.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. So, moving on to disability, and this yeah. is it? That, that famous bang zap push
0: that we put in there. So there's a story behind this, because we were talking about all the different things that were going on. And sometimes I can't sleep. And I was thinking, there's got to be a mnemonic or something in here that would work. And I think I sent you guys an email out at three in the morning. And Georgette was the only person who was awake. I said, I've got it. This is, <laughs> this is my idea. And everyone went,
1: yeah, that could work.
0: <laughs> so we came up with the bang zap push.
1: Yeah, we love the bang zap push and it and it really yeah, makes funny. sense. It's it, and if you can actually um memorize little things like the, the what do they call the mnemonics or the yeah. I what did you call it before the idol, uh, italic italic uh,
0: the initial uh, that's initialism it, yeah, yeah initialism. initialism
1: that's the one that I get confused between the two what is it yeah, but, um, yeah
0: mnemonic makes a word I think like radar uh, no that's an acronym that's an acronym yes. radar is an acronym and then a mnemonic is a general term for any sort of memory device. And then something like A, B, C, D, E would be an initialism. It happens right. to be an alphabetical order. But FBI is an initialism. Yeah. You know, CIA, yeah. those sorts of things. That's what are I was initialisms. thinking. initialisms.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right. So disability, bangs out, push. It's going to make you famous, Mark. Benzodiazepines. Okay. B for, be- for benzos. A for adrenaline. N for naloxone, G for glucose, Zap would be electricity defibbing, and push is pushing any IVs and fluids. So suspected hypovolemia or hypotension. Yeah,
0: yeah, and and so where this kind of came from was if I think it was again, I think it was Craig who said if I walk in and I see somebody seeing, seizing, at this point I'm going to start thinking about you know midazolam. I'm going to start thinking mm-hmm. about a benzodiazepine. Mm-hmm. Um, if if they say you know. I've been flung by a bee, and they're all, you yeah. know, anaphylactic. Yeah, yeah we're just going to grab the adrenaline. So it's a yeah. I think it's a really useful mnemonic. I had a friend of mine here that I teach with, Dale Gory. He's a perfect name for a trauma nurse, Gory. So Dale is <laughs> <laughs> Dale's a trauma nurse and a paramedic, and he said, you know, with the bangs at push. Along with the uh, benzos for seizure, you could also use – you could use it as a reminder benzos for the agitated, combative patient that you might want to sedate. Now, here in uh, Queensland, we use Draperidol, There's lots of different agents. You know, you can – whatever you want to use to sedate somebody who's aggressive. But that's a a useful thing to uh, keep in mind as well. So, seizing – yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Benzos, adrenaline, naloxone, glucose.
1: Glucose, yeah. I guess it's all the things that could cause unconsciousness at that point, isn't it, too, when you're thinking about it? So, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, or life water, threat. Glycemic and, yeah, life threatening. Absolutely. And with um, the zap. No, I was going to say, just, yeah, zap, obviously, defib, isn't it? Yeah.
0: It's defib, but, you know, there's also, you walk in, you turn it on, and someone's barely conscious in like an idioventricular. I'm going to pace them. Somebody walks in and they're, you know, all altered mental status and they're in an SVT at 220, I'm going kind to of cardiovert them. Yeah, yeah, so right. all the electrical things we can do with a monitor, depending on your scope of practice, obviously, is a part of the zap. And yeah, then that, the,
1: yeah. I like to think of this as like the bang that pushes all the critical interventions that need to be done early, quickly. You know, obviously right. we've, we've already handled a couple of those previously, like chest decompression and controlling catastrophic bleeding before this point. You know, those things we had to fix before we got to here. But other stuff, like at this point, these are critical interventions that need to happen earlier rather than later.
0: Yeah, and one that we missed in the airway would be a surgical airway for the can't intubate, can't ventilate patient. So if that's within your scope of practice and you're attempting to ventilate, you can't do it, you try to get a tube, it's all gone, I'm going to have to go through the cricothyroid membrane, I'm going to have to get in the trachea that way and -hmm. establish an airway surgically. So that would be... One of the it, it bangs that push blow <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah but if, if, but if we're thinking the find it fix it move on approach in airway if it is obstructed or we can't clear it we would be considering the surgical airway in that in that considerations yeah. aren't we up
0: there yeah yeah it would, it would come sooner
1: yeah and just clarifying about catastrophic life threatening hemorrhage that it needs to go up early before a lot of this stuff happening it's happening too I know that we've Got it in our considerations later on, but you know, just reiterating yeah. that it does go up a lot earlier. So at that point too, with the disability, we're assessing for any signs of um, obvious trauma, broken bones, you know, facial injuries. Things are going to end up being a problem for us as well, or might end up making a difference to the way that we have to then manage the patient. Significant yeah, if they're things.
0: major, if they're major life threats, right? Like yeah. bilateral broken femurs or flail chest segment or something—not necessarily yeah. a sprained ankle, but like yeah. the life-threatening stuff up front. Yeah,
1: significant, and also you know signs of obvious um, bleeding or pneumothoraces or pneumothorax starting, etc. As well. Yeah. All right. So moving on to E extrication. Right. So we want to assess our current environmental condition. So. Is it pouring down with rain? Do we have a, an issue with uh, having to get across the stream to extricate the patient? All of these things mm-hmm. have happened, haven't they? Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. do happen, you know? Oh, yeah, uh,
0: having worked in Canada and in the oh, Middle East, how yeah. cold is it? How hot is it? You can get That's second it. degree burns from the road in the Middle East.
1: Yeah. It's like, <laughs> do I have to
0: move the patient? Yeah.
1: So think about, uh, you know, your egress and, and access and, your, and then your egress, you know, how are you going to get out of there with the patient? You know, this is in the. And you've got to remember all of this primary survey stuff, it's right at the beginning. So mm-hmm. if you're looking at and you've done your assessment of this patient, you get to this point of E, and now you've got to consider how, how, how well is my patient? Am I going to be able to get them up and to get them out? Or are we going to need a Stokes stretcher? You know, do I need, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the way that we're now going to be exiting and leaving. Um, you need to pay consideration to that earlier on, rather than later, because you might need some additional services or assistance to actually help you get out with that yeah. comfortably.
0: Stair chairs.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> classic. Exactly. So right. if you so walk up the
0: stairs and they're up there. Yeah, yeah and you know, we'll the there's stair the chair.
1: there's the consideration here too about um, the you know the famous saying of load and go, and I, I like to think of that as. Um, not so much loading and going, but treating en route. Because there's, a mm-hmm. I think, a way of thinking about when we load and go that we're not doing anything. But you actually are, mm-hmm. aren't you? you? You're going yeah. early, but you're still doing stuff, aren't you? You're treating as you You should go. be. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you need to get out of there early, then this is the time that you're making the decision to do that because your patient may not be okay enough to hang around for any length of time on the scene. Mm-hmm. And
0: we might be thinking, too, at that point, or we should be thinking, too, of how am I going to get them to definitive care? if That's what we're doing. Sometimes we don't take people. But if Mm -hmm. we do, do, like, are we, I remember once working in Toronto and we had somebody having a stroke in their home. And it was the middle of rush hour and the hospitals were far away. There was just no way we were going to get that person to the hospital in a quick amount of time. And we just said, is the helicopter available? Yeah. And they yeah. landed down the street, and we met them, and they, they were in the hospital in 10 minutes. It would have taken yeah. us 40, you Absolutely. know. And you might not think of that in the middle of a large urban center, but mm-hmm. it's, those are things to think about. If somebody's entrapped, getting, uh, if you can't run blood, getting a team in that can, mm-hmm. you know, doing advanced stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. All, that, all that sort of stuff, people who can help. Bariatric units, if you've got yeah. a very large patient you know that true. needs specialized equipment so yeah we kind of broke it down into what was it the immediate urgent extrication if it's an unsafe scene you're just gonna basically bug out you know grab them from the car a <laughs> burning car and run yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we talked about the load and go and as you said it's not really load and go because you're doing stuff it's expedited extrication mm. and then protection from the potentially adverse environments hot cold rain lightning right? mm. Um, requesting additional assistance, appropriate transport methods, or bariatrics air transport, or whatever, and then starting to think about the appropriate destination too.
1: Correct. Yeah, and you know, obviously, a lot of consideration. You've got choices in some places, so you know, we could be talking about PCI for cardiac patients. or so we if we're living in a small rural town, we might be taking everyone to the local hospital. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. This depends on trauma bypass. There. Yeah, absolutely, that's yeah. a big one too. So,
0: yeah. neurocenters, talk yeah. centers, pediatrics, you yeah. know, if you've got a pediatric hospital and they've got something bizarre,
1: yeah, mm. let's get you
0: to the pediatric hospital, because if we show up anywhere else, they're going to go, why didn't you go to, you know, Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto? Like, why didn't yeah. you go to Sick Kids?
1: Yeah, Bracey's the same, Brisbane's the same, though, isn't it? you at got for yeah kids, women's, and PA, and yeah. Very much, you know, specialized. It's actually probably way more complicated in the cities than it is in the country.
0: Yeah, and that's part of our consideration as we go through our extrication. It's part of our ease. Okay.
1: Great. Okay. All right. Okay, Mark, so let's run through a scenario and see how you go. All
0: right. Shall I be the student?
1: Yes, I think you should be the, and I'm going to be the teacher. So, All right, uh, back on the hot seat. That's it. So you can you can trial out the primary survey on this patient. So let's sure. say that um, I have witnessed a, a, an elderly gentleman walking in the park. He's gone to sit down, and he was sitting there for a little while, and then he just slumps. He uh, sort of collapses and becomes unresponsive at that point.
0: Okay. Uh, so I'll approach this like very – Uh, explicitly using the primary survey and this is how our students do it when they're first starting so that you get an idea of sort of how this whole thing works all right Mm -hmm. so I've got the call information Um, I'm making sure I'm wearing my gloves and my goggles that's safety F uh, we've arrived and I'm starting to approach the patient is there anything that I need to fear or need to be worried about as I'm approaching the patient is the scene safe no
1: just my dog
0: your dog? Okay. I, Does I, the I, dog I, seem aggressive? You're, okay, good. So, we're, we're sure that that's okay. So, I is going to be the incident, and uh, I've been told that he slumped basically atraumatically, and mm-hmm. so I'm thinking probably a medical collapse of some sort. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just okay. watching him. He just slumped and collapsed.
0: Okay. R is number of patients. I'm taking a look, and I just see the one male on the bench. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. S is send for help. I don't really think I need to send for help right now, but I'll keep in mind that if I have to, I will. T is trauma to the C-spine, and I don't think he has any trauma to the C-spine based on the mechanism of injury, and since there's only one, I don't need to triage. So my general impression is an approximately 70-year-old male lying left, right lateral, which is it? Left. Left lateral, on a bench, um, not responding to us as we approach. I tried to poke Um, him, but he didn't do anything. Okay, so this is the point where I actually approach the patient I'm making sure that I, if he jumps up, I'm still able to run away. And I say, hi, sir, my name's Mark. I'm a paramedic. How are you? Mm. Sir, can you open your eyes for me?
1: No, just groans a little bit. Like a little bit. Of that. Mm.
0: Groans to loud verbal?
1: Yes, loud verbal.
0: Okay, so I'm going to take my pen out of my pocket and squeeze it on the top of his thing and say, sir, can you open your eyes for me? My name's Mark. I'm a paramedic. Can you open your eyes for me? So, he's just so, okay. Yeah, he won't uh, open his
1: eyes, but he kind of does that when you try and squeeze his finger.
0: Okay, so in my brain I'm thinking moaning to loud verbal and purposeful movement to pain. That's my general impression of this guy and estimating his levels of awareness. And then uh, I'm just going to take a quick look at the patient and quick look around and make sure there's no immediate life threats to me, my partner, my team, or the patient. There's no catastrophic or life-threatening bleeding. No. None that I can see. Okay. Okay all right so now i'm going to switch from my safety first get over into my abcds i'm going to check the airway so i'm going to approach the patient closely i'm going to feel for a radial as i'm doing this and i'm going to look at his chest look listen and feel is the patient breathing does he have a patent airway
1: uh airway is patent. a little bit uh noisy like a little bit yes, yeah just Nothing major, like, you don't think it's it's, it's actually obstructed, but he does seem heavily, uh, what's the word, out of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, If I'm worried about, it's tough when we're doing this in imagination, but if I'm worried about that there is some obstructiveness, I might tilt him a little bit more. If not, if I think it's okay, I'll just leave it for now. When you tilt him, it
1: clears it. It tilts it. When you tilt him around, it clears it.
0: You can just sort of pull him by the shoulders a bit. Yeah get his face down. Okay. So that's airway. He's breathing. And what's my impression of his respiratory effort? Does it appear to be adequate?
1: Adequate. It's A bit slow, but it, it seemed, he seems very relaxed.
0: Okay. That's good. Um, so I'm probably not too worried about his breathing right now in terms of correcting it. I'll ask my partner to slip an SpO2 on to see sort of what room air um, sats we're getting. Um Because of the stertorous airway, I'm going to keep in the back of my mind the idea of maybe putting an OPA or something in later if we adjust his position, but I'm not going to do any of that right now because there's still some other stuff I want to find out. So I'm going to, uh, I'm feeling for the radial pulse. Have I felt a radial?
1: It's bounding. Like it's very strong. Okay.
0: And uh, tachycardic, bradycardic, normal? Normal. Normal. Okay. So I'm pretty happy with that in terms of circulation. I'll take a quick look at his skin. Does he look shocky? Does he look okay?
1: Looks okay. Pink. Looks okay. Warm.
0: All right. Good. All right. I'm happy with that. Um, I I could consider at this point the idea of putting on a cardiac monitor, but I don't think I'm going to just now because he's got really good ABCs and whatever's going on with his heart right now, I'm, I'm not terribly worried. So D is disabilities. I'm going to start thinking about bang zap push. So he's not seizing. He's not fighting me. I don't need any benzos. I don't see any signs of uh, anaphylaxis for adrenaline? No. No? Okay. Um, Narcan is a possibility. I'll keep it in the back of my mind. People mm-hmm. have different approaches to Narcan. I don't necessarily want to wake the person up, but if he wasn't breathing, mm-hmm. I would certainly be thinking about Narcan. Glucose mm-hmm. is an issue, but his skin is dry.
1: Mm-hmm. So if he's you, hypoglycemic... You do smell a bit of, like, maybe alcohol or something, though. Like, kind of like...
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. That could be acetone. I don't want to get tunnel vision into. Always drunk. Mm -hmm. But all right. So um, I'll be checking sugar in a second. Mm -hmm. And since he's got a good bounding pulse, I'm probably not going to worry at this point about getting a line in for fluid replacement. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's my bang. Would I need to zap him? My zapping would be defibrillating, which I won't because he's not dead. Um, He's not tachycardic. He's not bradycardic. So I'm not going to pace him. I'm not going to cardiovert him. That's my zap, and I don't think I need to push him right now. Um, I don't see any evidence of gross disability, like traumatic injury. No. No, nothing like that? Okay. Um, And in terms of extrication, we walked in easily from the park. I'm assuming we've got our stretcher with us. It's going to be fairly easy to extricate him now. So I have the luxury of staying on scene and thinking, okay, I'm ready to do a more detailed assessment in a few seconds. But in terms of my... Safety first, get A, B, C, D, I'm comfortable with where we're at. Mm-hmm.
1: Good. Okay. How's it that sounds... sound? Yeah, it's really good. It's very thoughtful. It's been a while
0: since I did that. <laughs> now, it's interesting because we could make a different scenario. That one took a little while. We could do a different scenario where you walk into a patient's bedroom, and it's all safe, and you say, how are you doing today, ma'am? And she says, oh, I'm fine. I'm just having a little bit of back pain. I was thinking of going to the hospital. Well, my safety first, get ABCDEs is done.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. It's it's
0: just done that fast, right? Mm-hmm. She's talking, she's responsive. So although we've gone through a lot of detail in this and you know it's multiple items in order, you can see how it scales. Mm. So if it's if it's a quick straightforward sort of patient, you mm-hmm. walk in you say "Um, my primary's done. If it's yeah. a more complicated like that guy on the bench.
1: Just important to note, you know, some of the initial feedback we had was there was a couple of people who were like, "Oh, is this is going to take forever." But this, yeah. These, you know, I think it was a hundred points of different bits and bobs that are in this. <laughs> yeah. Not everything needs to be followed, does it? You know, and, and no. like we said in our article, you know, we expect that, you know, most people who are practicing paramedics or who have experience are doing these things without even thinking about it. This is a design that we think is something that we can teach with and we can make, stu- make sure that students... Know that there is a sequence of priority of care for a patient, don't we? You know, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know to make sure that they don't forget things along the way, and and that this does get uh, manipulated depending on the environment. You know, not everything is always going to be relevant.
0: Yeah, it's the difference yeah, is that's there. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, there's that old saying. I think I think we said this in the first podcast: is that it's great to have a recipe, but there's there's no um, replacement for a thinking chef. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so this is a good recipe and it's scalable if you're thinking about it mm. um but if you don't know what you're doing you, this will just confuse you if you mm. do know what you're doing this will help you mm. and there's another metaphor that i use for the students because they say do i have to say everything in order it's like no as long as you get everything done yeah i'm happy with the fact that you did everything and they say you know i don't think paramedics are actually thinking about this when they go on the road And I say, no, they're not. They walk in and their spidey sense just tingles as something is wrong. They're not consciously thinking about this. Mm -hmm. But you have to learn how to consciously think about this first. And then you can let this go. It's like there's an old Buddhist metaphor of, you know, you build a raft to get across the river. But when you get across the river, you don't put the raft on your back. Mm -hmm. You've crossed the river. You've gotten to that point where this Mm -hmm. becomes automatic, where it becomes almost reflexive of you walk in and go, something's wrong here. You know, or you walk in. I remember doing this with experienced paramedics. You walk in and you're going to, you know, I'm going to do a call and they're going to watch me. And then suddenly, boom, they're gone past me and they're taking pulses and they're doing stuff. And I'm like, what happened? We suddenly switched speed, but I have no idea why. It's because they walked in and went, oh, they're sick. Mm
1: -hmm. No time
0: to play with this. They're really sick. I've got to pay attention to this.
1: And, And look, some of this is also, I guess, a good reminder that, Things do need to be broken down and not taken for granted, especially when it is an interesting or difficult case. So yeah. it is it is good something to fall back on, I think, for people who even are experienced that, you know, considerations that you you may overlook, you know, to just always have that hanging. Well, let's go back to our ABCs, our, our primary survey, let's step yeah. back a bit and make sure that we have actually done that before we move on. Hmm. Okay, everybody, well, thanks for listening and staying tuned the whole way through. We're we're at the end now, and I just want to um, thank everybody who's taken the time to listen to this second one. Really Mm -hmm. excited to be here. It's been lots of fun so far. And you can still find us on Facebook and Twitter. And Mark, I think we've got a website coming. Is that right?
0: Yeah, we've got the paramedicine.com website, which I've had since about 96. And I think it's about 10 years old right now, if you're going to go take a look at the beginning of September in 2018. But um, we have uh, people working on the website. Reese is working on the website. And we're hoping to have it. Yeah, our IT team. Uh, We're hoping to have the new site up. Uh, which will have lots of resources for the podcast and everything else by, ideally, end of September. This is all volunteer, so, you know, Mm -hmm. it goes as fast as it goes. But hopefully by the end of September, we'll have the website up and ready to go.
1: Sounds great. And Mm -hmm. on there, we're going to even have scenarios that we can play on each other.
0: We will. I think once we get the site up, we should probably do a show just sort of talking through the new website and the things that will be up there.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks, everyone. So, keep on studying.
0: Keep on caring.
1: Keep safe out there.